Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, hi, hi. Winter has come, everyone. And you have indeed found your way to the latest episode of Paul or Nothing. This is wide screen podcasting and the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles. And thank you all for listening, downloading, and I hope you're all well, safe and sound. We are all back today with our fingers Firmly on the pulse and in the loop, everyone, with the latest, the third in our ongoing series of episodes in the lead up to Macca's 2020, with a question mark, solo Rockdown album, aka McCartney 3, due out on December 18th. My oh my, aren't we cranking out the McCartney 3 content at a jolly old rate? Well, folks, to tell the truth of it, there's been an awful lot of McCartney 3 content constantly been forced upon me over the last few weeks you know mpl and capital want us to be talking about it you want to hear it i want to make it and only the final release of the super deluxe version next year is gonna sate me during all of this madness so until that time let's have some fun with the fact that we have some new paul mccartney product you know the drill by now people let's not dawdle and crack on with the Housekeeping! So, what do we have in terms of news today? Well, it turns out that the BBC here in the UK have announced a TV special called Idris Elba Meets Paul McCartney. And from what you've already guessed, yes, it is exactly what it says on the tin. Obviously, Paul is going to be interviewed by famous British actor Idris Elba, who is a self-confessed Paul McCartney fan. And I will always know Idris Elba as Stringer Bell from HBO's The Wire and rather coincidentally one of my best friends is getting a new puppy and he's going to be naming him Stringer as well. Anyway, Idris is set to ask Paul a series of questions that span his entire solo career right the way up to McCartney 3. Honestly, this sounds really cool. I'm glad to see that Capital is finding newer and hipper ways to get McCartney out there in the world. You know, in the 80s he was making collaborations with musicians for his product, now he seems to be making these pairings with celebs in the marketing realm instead. It's also been announced that the BBC will be broadcasting Paul's secret gig at the Cavern Club in 2018 around Christmas time, probably even the same day as the Idris Elba meets McCartney, I'm not too sure. But yeah, this is certainly another slot in the Christmas calendar that I will certainly be marking out. And... Hopefully this will even include a live uh, filmed recorded version of Confidant, which I haven't seen. That'll be quite exciting. Couple of other things spring to mind though with, with this special. A, it's about bloody time we saw this. I have no idea why it hasn't been released already. Was it a part of the Traveller's edition or anything like that? Please let me know. B, aren't the BBC smashing it in terms of McCartney content uh, this month, folks? Like really well done and C does this mean we are also in for recordings of other secret gigs that we do or do not know about I'd like to think so it's always fun to wildly speculate isn't it in other McCartney news I neglected to mention on our last episode 
that the new uh, coming up music video was remastered in HD and uploaded to McCartney's YouTube page about a week ago. And then, whilst I was just writing the notes for this episode, Paul then went ahead and released the music video for Waterfalls as well. And I know that this is a topic that me and Ed Chen are just going to have to talk about when I have him back on to discuss more McCartney music videos in the new year. Always looking forward to that. Speaking of uh, plugs in terms of this podcast, of course, I've still got my episode of The Blotto Beatles coming out. That still won't be for a few weeks. Uh, Fuck it, I want to plug it again, though, because I'm really excited about it. You know, what I can remember of it. Anyway, with that all said, to get in contact with the show, please email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Please let me know your McCartney stories, your McCartney trivia. You know, I always love reading out your stuff here on the show. And you know what? If you want to just say hi, I'll go for that as well. For more direct access to the podcast and a more direct feed to me, I guess, follow us on our Twitter page also, which is at McCartneyPod for all sorts of mad ramblings and fun McCartney-based polls and content. Speaking of content, check out our sister blog, which is paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com for all sorts of Paul or Nothing bonus content. Lots of stuff that is not on this podcast is on that blog, and lots of episodes that, you know, I did record were were originally stuff on the blog. So, yeah, go and check that out if you haven't quite got your Paul or Nothing fix. Uh, find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, either by typing in Paul or Nothing or Paul McCartney Podcast. Please leave us a five-star review on whatever platform or service you are using to listen to your podcast. It always helps us out in a massive way. And finally, if you want to help out the show more directly, if you've been enjoying the podcast for these years that I've been doing it, if you want to give back directly to me, if you want to help keep the lights running on the show, or if you just want to buy me a coffee or a beer as a little thank you, please consider joining our Patreon page. Obviously, Patreon is the way that you can support independent content creators such as myself. And you can join our lovely family of patrons as well, including Teresa Breda, Stephanie Miller, Louis DiLonardo, Stuart Cook, Cheryl McCoy, Katrina S., Sam Hode, Anastasia P., Robert Carabelli, Tony Vosal, Warren Butson, and Matt Phillips. Thank you to everyone who supports the show. But I'm doing so well for time here that I'm just going to keep things going. So let's crack on with the updates, yeah? McCartney 3 updates. Right, folks, third time's the charm. And what could warrant such a further instalment? Well, more than you might think, actually. And let me just take a moment at the top of the show to thank all of my friends on various social media platforms who constantly bombard me with all of this stuff, particularly my Twitter followers, my cabal of legacy fans and original Apple Scruffs on Facebook. You know, I never started out doing a new segment in my intro of this show, let alone whole episodes on McCartney-based news. But when you have such a competent and well-put-together news team behind you, you know, it means I'm free to put my own spin on it rather than doing a lot of the hunting myself, and the pod can be more on the pulse than it ever was. Anyway, what have we got here today? Here to... No, I'm I'm not going to do it, don't worry. Well, we're going to be beginning with a series of streaming updates and releases from Paul on Spotify. Of course, we've mentioned this, but McCartney and Spotify are getting awfully cosy these days, as well as Amazon as well, now that I think about it. Uh, All of which is totally down to capital, of course. And 
Whilst there is a part of me that enjoys Paul being outside of modernities like streaming platforms, I can't sit here right now and tell you that he wouldn't have been doing exactly the same thing in the 80s if he had said option. Like, I love how McCarty is a great supporter of Record Store Day. I spoke about this with Ken recently on an episode, and it's so cool that Paul has got his toe in the, you know, the maintenance of a physical vinyl culture. But seeing Paul with, like, dedicated stuff on streaming services, it doesn't put a bad taste in my mouth. It It's just something that's a little bit different, and I'll need time to get used to. So, just for the sake of completion, I will recommend that you go back and check out that last episode I did with Ken Michaels, even though it wasn't necessarily a McCartney 3 episode, but, you know, rather like Macca's chat with Taylor Swift in Rolling Stone, it couldn't help but be brought up. But yeah, on the 20th of November, McCartney released the second instalment of his Spotify EP playlist Thingy-Mabobs. This one was called Holiday, and for those of you keeping track... No, that's not one of the themes that I initially guessed, but oh well. Anyway, whilst me and Ken did go into a little more detail of these selections, uh, I'll just quickly read out the track listing for you now. It contained Wonderful Christmas Time, a slightly edited version, Coming Up, live from Glasgow 1979, the album version of Pipes of Peace, The Christmas Song, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire from Kisses on the Bottom, Hosanna from the new album, and Lady Madonna, the Wings Over America version. Yep, a very on-the-nose selection, if you ask me, but seeing how any McCartney playlist around Christmas time really does sell itself, it's nice to see that Spotify and McCartney would draw some attention to a Wings B-side, as well as Kisses on the Bottom and New. And even if this was done out of necessity to fit the theme more than wanting to highlight the wider catalogue, it still achieves the same goal, so I'm not too fussed. What I didn't like, though, was the alteration to the sticking out of my back pocket playlist on Spotify, which, if you remember, is Spotify's fixed rotating monthly playlist of Paul McCartney music, but rather lazily for December, for this month, they have clearly just copied the holiday EP in the same order, only with the addition of the following three songs. People Want Peace from Egypt Station, Frozen Japanese from McCartney 2, and Let It Be, taken live from the Amoeba Gig album in 2007. Yeah, I get that, like, Frozen Japanese is frozen, and that's, like, winter and stuff, but I'm not too sure what Let It Be's got to do with Christmas, nor People Want Peace except maybe just the theme of peace and how it fits Pipes of Peace. But Pipes of Peace, you know, the, the music video is literally about Christmas, though, so that fits a lot more. I'm not sure why that one was included at all. Oh, well. Anyway, moving on, we're still deep in Spotify territory here. And since the release of our conversation with Ken, McCartney has gone ahead and released both a third and fourth in his list of EP playlist thingamabobs. The first one is called Family, and I am dead certain that I guess that particular title, not the most astute portent of all time, but I'll take what I can. It came out on the 27th of November, and being called Family, rather suitably, this one features the image of Paul with his daughters around the kitchen slash dinner table. Now, judging by his moustache, 
I'd say it was definitely McCartney 2 hiding in Scotland era. And it's such a candid image. You know, I don't think I've ever even seen it before, but maybe one of you have. Please let me know. In terms of the actual track listing, though, I honestly really enjoyed the collection of songs for, for what it was worth. But that's mostly because it seems like the majority of McCartney songs about family are also kooky, acoustic, or both. And that's just peak McCartney for me. Of course, it was the first time that I'd ever heard Heaven on a Sunday from Flaming Pie. And whilst I can certainly see it being a future grower... I'm also already well aware that I'm going to ruffle a few feathers out there in the podcasting realm when it comes to my comments on that James McCartney solo. But anyway, what other songs did McCartney slash his marketing team think of when they were tasked with six McCartney songs about family? We had Mama's Little Girl, the B-side to Put It There from the Red Rose Speedway era. We have... Deliver Your Children from London Town. Put It There, the A-side to Mama's Little Girl from The Flowers in the Dirt Era. Heaven on a Sunday from Fleming Pie, like I said. Bit Bop from Wildlife. And Little Woman Love, the B-side to Mary Had a Little Lamb, which is as close to any sort of reference to that fucking song you're ever going to get in the modern day, everyone. So... Far from Heaven on a Sunday, which I really should not be listening to if the integrity of this chronological podcast, you know, our loose gimmick is to be believed. But yeah, aside from that, this was wall-to-wall McCartney hits for me. And again, we get some deep cuts like B-sides from Ram and Flowers in the Dirt and even a Denny Lane song. Not bad at all. And now, fourth and latest in Paul's Spotify-only compilation releases... Released on the 4th of December, we have, just as I predicted, Love. Yes, folks, a Paul McCartney podcaster guessed that the title of a generic McCartney playlist would indeed be Love. Nostradamus over here, am I right? Interestingly, the cover is an alternative take of Paul in front of the bike rose in mouth during the Red Rose Speedway cover shoot. Again, I've seen quite a few other takes for that cover, but I don't think I've seen this one specifically. So if all we're going to get out of these EP things is a couple of cool Linda McCartney snaps, then as far as a free series is concerned, that's still pretty much worth it. Though, unfortunately, i got to say that all but one of the six songs chosen for the track listing here were just so woefully mandatory and predictable And I don't think it had to be that way at all. Paul has a huge back catalogue of love songs and songs about love. And what we get is just what Google would have come up with if you put in Paul McCartney love songs. I mean, just look at the track listing here. Silly love songs from Wings at the Speed of Sound, Waterfalls from McCartney 2, Love is Strange from Wildlife, My Love from Red Rose Speedway, My Valentine from Kisses from the Bottom, and... Maybe I'm Amazed, again, live from Scotland, the same gig as coming up earlier. Any guesses for the song that I think is actually a pretty decent choice there? The exception to the rule? Well, if you didn't immediately guess Love is Strange, then I guess you can just switch this podcast off right now, can't you? But yeah, bar from Waterfalls and Love is Strange, this 
six-song list. It just looks like any generic Paul McCartney live set list since 2012, and it just bored me. Enough said. Okay, then, moving on to something you can actually physically hold in your hand now, and as per tradition... With all of these McCartney 3 update episodes, we do indeed have even further editions of McCartney 3 to announce. The first of these is the You Discover exclusive orange vinyl. This was sold exclusively on youdiscover.com store. By the way, that's U as in the letter U, not the word U. But yeah, this version was printed in a very attractive bright orange colour. It was indeed available on their store at one point. Not too sure how many pressings were made. And, you know, you know where this is going, folks. You've guessed it has sold out. Next up, we have the Japanese exclusive edition of McCartney 3 from Universal's online music store. This version of the album has been printed on red vinyl, comes with a 16-page complimentary booklet, and, most crucially of all, folks, For those of you out there looking to buy as few editions of this album as possible, but cannot wait for the deluxe edition, this Japanese version contains all four bonus track songs. I mean, what the fuck, Japan? Also, rather interestingly, it appears that this version is also still one disc and doesn't require an additional EP or anything like that. You know, wow, just look at the wonders of the advancements in vinyl pressing there, everyone. For anyone who doesn't know, Japan, for as long as I remember, for many of the top key-selling albums from foreign artists, they will be gifted a bonus track that, for a while at least, would indeed be exclusive to the Japanese market. Now, the first example of this that I can think of from my own life was the song Glorious by Muse for their 2006 album Black Holes and Revelation, And this whole Japanese bonus track thing stems from laws in Japan that do not allow record vendors to lower prices on certain commodities. And so these deluxe exclusive editions of the album that are imported to the country are there to encourage Japanese nationals to continue buying the overly expensive records in their home country rather than importing cheaper ones from overseas. Of course, the irony here is that many of us in the West would now like to export this more complete version of McCartney 3 back over here, as it's clearly much better. It says on the website here that it's uh, 2,750 yen for the Japanese market, but if you look under import, which I'm guessing means to import it here to England, it costs a whopping 5,500 yen, so pretty much double Yep, that's the free market talking there, every, everyone, whether we like it or not. Now, the next new edition of McCartney 3 was sent in to us by Karen J, one of our Twitter followers. Big thanks for that, Karen. And this version is available via musicvaults.com, which is a website that has a fantastic selection of McCartney vinyls and CDs for a little bit cheaper than his own website. This particular pressing of McCartney 3 has been printed on what is described as opaque yellow, which makes me think that a a translucent yellow one is either in the works or one of them is a translucent yellow one. I'm not sure. But yeah, the colour of the disc, again, is the only thing that is unique here. 
So, you know, you, you can call the Music Vaults version the opaque yellow version. I mean, you can call other people's versions that anyway, because again, it's sold out. Then, folks, if that wasn't enough for you, not 10 minutes before I fucking started this very episode, yet another version of this album was brought to my attention. Uh, this was through friend of the show, Andy. Shout out to him. Can't wait to have him back on one day. This latest issue of McCartney 3 is, again, standard artwork, standard cover, but the vinyl this time is printed on a very alluring violet. It is indeed, at time of recording, available right now on McCartney's own website. I believe it's McCartney.com, so it's probably an American thing. It is indeed in stock. Again, it has 3,000 units, so check now whilst you can, because maybe by the time you hear this, it's already gone. But, you know, fuck it, give it a go, eh? Now, hopefully there are no more versions of the album that are coming out between now and the 18th of December, because... You know, three update podcasts for McCartney 3 fits quite nicely, so I don't want to do another one. Paul, please let this be it. Come on, be nice. Now, moving on from editions of McCartney 3, uh, just to another catch-up for anyone, again, who may have missed the Ken Michaels episode. Not sure why you would have, but anyway, a couple of weeks ago, several outlets began citing a segment from the Uncut magazine uh, review that we discussed on the last episode, and how it hinted at the new McCartney 3 song, Lavatory Lil, and how it was potentially about one Heather Mills, of course, Paul's ex-wife. Now, this is a nice bit of juicy tabloid news indeed, if true, and I simply can't wait to hear the album for myself, so I can do some of my own detective work on it. We'll see how it turns out, but, you know... Already, we've been poised to believe that it could be about Heather now, so it's going to be hard for me to interpret it any other way. And, come on, folks, Paul knows what he's doing here. He knows he's stirring this up, and we've all fallen for it. I've fallen for it. And, you know, after not using the Beatles to his advantage in the press for so many years, you know, in the 89 and 90, he started doing it loads. And, you know... Publicly, he's never really milked that the Heather thing for a profit. Uh, so it's nice to see a change of pace there. Also, something that I forgot to mention in said Kent episode was that it turns out the guitar he's used to play this song, this, this supposedly Heather Mills-based song, uh, is a 1954 Telecaster, which was gifted to him by his current wife, Nancy. You know, the wife that the fan base love way more. Ooh, the plot thickens, eh? How delectable indeed. Then, everybody, on the 21st of October, we had the second trailer for McCartney 3, which this time switched focus to another song that we've heard oh so much about, called The Kiss of Venus. Like last time, it's fun to, to try and work out, you know, the music of the album and the tone, just based on these short snippets, probably snippets that are purposefully designed to be as obtuse and obscuring as possible. So let's just go right ahead and do some of that now whilst I play you the audio. All right, on we go. In the heat of the Beatles breaking up, I just wanted to get back to basics. So I thought, right, well, I'll do it my own album. I loved making music so much, I just didn't want to stop. 
I had to just do something new for fun. It was music. Packed with illusions. This was purposely to get things off my chest. This was going to be total freedom. So pure. When Dad asked me to take the photographs, it adds to the family feel a bit. When Dad would come back from the studio and we'd usually end up dancing around. Such brilliant memories. Visually, this trailer was certainly a lot more interesting as it hints at what could potentially be an extended live performance of sorts that may have been filmed at Hogs Hill Mill Studios. It shows Paul in the studio playing his instruments, so what else can I possibly assume? Perhaps this might even be part of a yet-to-be-announced behind-the-scenes documentary that could be broadcast or, you know, be inevitably part of the deluxe edition of this album on a dvd you know importantly though it's clear to me you know even without the full context and all the facts kiss of venus is going to be almost an automatic favorite of mine from this album just those snippets of the guitar lick the vocal melody and the fact that he's gonna sing it in his grand dude falsetto all of that has certainly got me incredibly hyped for this song i I cannot wait till December 18th. I really can't, folks. One slightly cruel thing I do have to point out about this this trailer, uh, they interview Mary McCartney, Paul's daughter, Linda's daughter, you know, the little girl inside the coat on the cover of McCartney 1, and she's clearly not a born orator. Like, her delivery and cadence did stand out to me as clearly not coming from the showbiz model, which she isn't, but, you know, it's a bit jarring when you have Paul being the natural storyteller he is. But yeah, another trailer for McCartney 3. They are really keeping the hype train going here. Folks, I cannot think of a single day, you know, since the announcement where there hasn't been something new for us to talk about. And I really have just, I've just been playing catch up with these episodes, haven't I? Oh, just before I move on to the re reviews, one other thing um, I saw on this video on YouTube is that it gave you a little link and it was a link back to Spotify. Yes, folks, we are once again deep in this fucking streaming world. We're talking about Spotify again. I swear I'm not sponsored by them. Again, ha, you wish, sponsor. But yeah, the link takes you to a pre-save of the album. And I was like, pre-save? What's that? And it linked to my Spotify account already. And basically what it does is it guarantees you that it'll automatically pre-download the album for you on day of release. This is nice. I guess it's going to be cool that I can basically wake up or just turn on my phone and McCartney 3 will be there. But if you're already excited by this album, you know, you were already going to be typing in McCartney 3 into your streaming app of choice the moment you woke up on that day either way. So I'm not sure what it is outside of, you know, a little capitulation towards Spotify, giving them a little bit of a shout out, you know, a little bit pointless, but 
hey, we all love talking about needless streaming stuff on here, don't we, folks? Anyway, now that we're all hyped up and overstimulated from that trailer, it's time for us to take a look at what some other people have been saying about McCartney 3 in the lead-up to its release. McCartney 3 Reviews Continued Our first review here today is once again written by someone who was a guest on this very podcast, once again inflaming my petty sense of jealousy. Yes, it is Luca Perazzi, our very first guest on our very first bonus episode. Go back and check that out if you haven't already. And he has published a review of McCartney 3 for his own website. Of course, Luca and his book, the Paul McCartney Recording Sessions, helped mould this show into what it is. You know, we are indebted to that text. And you know what? I really do need to get in contact with him and get him back on, actually. Anyway, seeing as many of you, I imagine, have already heard Find My Way and Winterbird When Winter Comes, uh, I thought it would be best if we heard Luca's professional opinions on said songs so we can see where we are at in the McCartney fandom. His first review reads as thus. Find My Way, a very catchy song, one of the few poppy tracks featured on the album. Starting with Mellotron and Electronic Guitars, Find My Way is very melodic and consists of two parts. The verse in the middle eight, where McCartney sings in a higher register with some very poignant lyrics, clearly inspired by pandemic scares. And then, after a false ending, the song goes on with a coda based on some very clever and original intertwining guitar lines. A beauty. Of course, you've always got to pay attention to any track that Luca calls a beauty. And... His comment that this is one of the few poppy tracks on McCartney 3 is actually something I'm welcoming with open arms. You know me and my love for some weird macca. Anyway, he continues. Winter bird when winter comes. McCartney 3 ends on a lighter note. Introduced by the same riff from Long-Tailed Winter Bird, here is one of the album's highlights, When Winter Comes. Originating from the 3rd of September 1992 session that also produced Calico Skies and Great Day, with George Martin producing and Jeff Emmerich engineering, this is an all-acoustic song in a pastoral vein. The melody is infectious and simple. A Buddy Holly-like little track. How sweet and marvellous an ending it truly is. Now, folks, until I read that segment, I had never actually taken the time to look at the precise date of said Flaming Pie Calico Sky Sessions, of which this song was born, a.k.a. September 3rd, 1992, which, and th this couldn't have been planned, it was literally the day I was born. You couldn't write this shit, folks. I am Sailor Sam from Birmingham, and the final song of McCartney 3 was recorded on the day of my birth. Fuck me, that is cool, isn't it? Come on. Anyway, I will end this with Luca's definitive thoughts on the album. He said, McCartney 3 is a unique album in Paul's canon and will be rewarded in years to come, and not only by his hardcore fans. Prioritising spontaneity to refinement, the album flows perfectly from start to finish. 
Having abandoned news, electronic trickery, and Egypt Station's pop grandiosity, Paul goes to the other end of the spectrum and delivers one of the rawest, most straightforward and honest albums of his post-Beatles career. Hats off, sir. Great stuff there, Luca. You know I'll see you soon. Our next review takes us from the Italian perspective to the French one, and this comes from MaccaClub.com, which is a very successful McCartney-based blog site. And their review was written by one Victor Basset, or it's spelt like Basset, but I'm going to guess it's like Basset or Basset. Of course, it is incredibly interesting to hear another country's perspective on this music, as well as see yet another team that's had early access to this album instead of me. But anyway, uh, overall, their thoughts were, McCartney 3 is an album that oscillates between current, experimental sounds, pop, similar to Chaos and Creation and Egypt Station, rock, the acoustic, folk and pure macca, with a voice from 1992 to contrast with the ensemble. There is something here for everyone. Now, it was mostly just a song by song, but one of their particular reviews that stood out to me was when they addressed a song that Paul has spoken about quite a lot in his interviews leading up to this release, the eight-minute epic called Deep, Deep Feeling. And I'm always keen to see what critics make of songs that Paul seems to be interested in. Is it indulgent or not? You know, let's see what Macca Club says. Deep Deep Feeling is a rather long piece that is more than eight minutes long. Though it is rich in its tonality, the mysterious atmosphere begins almost a cappella, with just a little drumming to accompany Paul's voice. Part of the melody, the ho-hey backing vocals, seem to originate from the Chaos and the Creation in the Backyard track Riding to Vanity Fair. The use of repetition at the end also makes you think of Wish You Were Mine in 25 Fingers, but much slower, or those used at the end of Despite Repeated Warnings. So now, not only have I heard a song from Flaming Pie that I shouldn't have heard, but now I've, I've, I've got to go listen to Riding to Vanity Fair from Chaos and Creation in the Backyard, if my review of McCartney 3 is to make any sense, if I am to validate this claim, uh, I will let you know, not that there's going to be a, a part four of this series, but I'll let you know so at some point. Anyway, as I mentioned earlier, I'm also pretty excited about the track Kiss of Venus. Uh, let's hear what the Macca Club says about that one. With the first notes of Kiss of Venus, one recognises Packed With Illusions, a demo played for the podcast Soda Jerker in 2018. More than that, though, the words Packed With Illusions have been kept in. I would not be surprised if this demo is found as a bonus track for one of the versions of the album. It is an acoustic ballad which can make you think of a certain softness. It is a classic as we like it. Oh, that just sounds fucking great. Oh, I can't wait for that song. I know I shouldn't be getting my hopes up too much in this period, folks, but uh, I just can't resist. Next up, we have The Morton Report, which is described on its own About Us page as an intellectual and easy-to-digest snapshot of what is going on in the world from a unique and entertaining perspective. So yeah, basically just more of the internet spiel. Um, this was just a straight-up review written by one Chaz Lip. Overall, he was very positive about the album, as we can see here. A sense of exploration drives and elevates the entirety of McCartney 3. 
This trilogy feels ripped directly from McCartney's subconscious. Instrumentals, sonic experiments, goofy asides, and of course, fully formed songs all collide to deliver pure, unfiltered McCartney. Now, the reason I like this quote particularly is that it's not, you know, obviously he thinks the album's good, but the most important point he's making is that it is clearly part of the trilogy. It's not like he's writing in saying, ah, you know, Chaos and Creation technically should be McCartney 3. This is just him saying, this is him saying definitively, the trilogy is complete. The king has returned, if you will. However, he does have this one caveat to add. McCartney 3 is arguably the least experimental of the three, deep, deep feeling notwithstanding. Okay, the, the fact that Paul is 78 and he has already said that, you know, some of these songs were taken right out of his list of uncompleted compositions um, means that the fact that this album may not be the most experimental isn't that much of a shocking revelation if it's unfiltered McCartney, it's still going to be a hell of a lot weirder than your average bear. So it isn't all that much of a concern. Plus, it's great to know that Deep Deep Feeling will be the exception here. Anyway, on to individual song reviews. I know I just read a quote about Deep Deep Feeling, but fuck it, I'm going to talk about some more. I just love how people are clearly in love with and vibing with this ginormous centrepiece from this album. He says, haunted lead guitar, jazz-infected piano chords, lush backing vocals, hypnotic repetition, and eventually rousing acoustic guitar. It's adventurous, unpredictable, and essentially everything one could ask for from the 78-year-old McCartney. Then we come to a part of the review that really grabbed my attention, and I'm just going to read it out now and give my thoughts at the end. It reads... My prediction for the most polarising track on McCartney 3 is Deep Down. This one has more in common with the often outré elements of McCartney 2 than anything else here. These lyrics are as minimalist as anything this side of Bitbop or Riding Into Jaipur. Basically, the takeaway is that Paul McCartney wants to get deep down and do it right. The herky-jerky beat is a bit too stiff, though the bassline is sufficiently rubbery enough to keep things grooving. But it's long, second only to the similarly titled, but otherwise entirely different, Deep Deep Feeling, and might have benefited from some editing. On the other hand, he works up a good head of steam vocally towards the end. Deep Down may prove to, to be one of those love-it-or-hate-it affairs. Back to positives, though. Because of its borderline disposable quality, Deep Down really is an anomaly here, especially compared to the two tracks that precede it. The Kiss of Venus is an instant classic, a poignant, acoustic-based, folky slice of McCartney gold. Seize the Day utterly transcends its rather clichéd title, offering a continuation of sentiments expressed in Egyptations, Do It Now, or This One, from all the way back in 1989 for that matter. Let the detractors snicker at a line like, It's all right to be nice. The fact is, McCartney appears to have had a pretty successful run based on that particular ethos. Wow, a whole lot to digest there, folks. Deep Down might be the temporary secretary here, even though it's being re referred to as a bip-bop. Not sure why that is at all. Bip-bop is an absolutely lovely track. I don't know why journalist and Paul continue to rip on bip-bop, but I will bring up that point again later. 
specifically. Honestly, though, I think I'm going to end up liking Deep Down probably more than anyone else, purely out of a sense of hipster contrarianism. You know, we'll see. The Kiss of Venus, a poignant acoustic-based focus slice of McCartney Gold. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. And in regards to Seize the Day, I'm honestly not surprised that it kind of links to Do It Now. Uh, McCartney's not the most subtle with his titles and... You know, his themes kind of do blend from album to album. But importantly, I hope Seize the Day is better than Do It Now. I'd be surprised if it was better than fucking this one, though. And finally, I do just have to say, I think the line, it's still alright to be nice, is a lot better than, I acted like a dustbin lid. Don't you? Up next, we have another very comprehensive look at both McCartney 3, as well as the rest of Paul's illustrious career this time in the New York Times. Wow, there really is no stone left unturned for this album now, is there? Obviously, Paul can't appear on TV or appear in a tiny, cramped little car and do carpool karaoke. But we've had magazines and the internet, and now we're going to do the established press. I mean, hey, if Paul fancies, you know, coming on to some podcasts, uh, you know, maybe he, he might want to come on to one with an average viewership of... Six listeners. If he does, he knows where to look. Anyway, putting my own feelings of inadequacy aside, right off the bat, I gotta say that this New York Times piece was fucking great. Especially in terms of freely accessible media. I'm looking at you, Rolling Stone article now blocked behind a paywall. McCartney 3, though, has had so much quality promotional print surrounding it, and the New Yorker proudly keeps up that tradition with a Shockingly frank, conversational, and detailed expose. This was written by David Marchese, or Marchese, who joined the New York Times last year. And in that time, he's also managed to get his Twitter account banned. So I'm not sure what all that is about. But all that aside, he was incredibly fucking thorough with his research. And his interview, or at least the style in which he wrote it, was a joy to, to read through. You know, this is arguably one of the best interviews McCartney's done in recent years, and I highly recommend you go and read it for yourselves, everyone. You know, firstly, he clearly knew his Beatles lore. He was obviously impressing Paul with his nerdiness throughout the conversation, and his ability to recall biographical facts on a whim was outstanding. For me, it was a real, when I grow up, I want to interview people just like him. Then he asked Paul about John, which I felt was like, oh God, very been there, done that. But then he actually goes on to ask Paul why he thinks everyone only ever asks him about John and not George, for example, which leads to a nice little digression about George as well. He then mentions he was conscious about bringing up the Beatles too early in the interview. And he even touches on how Paul did that for him. Like, you know, Paul is almost aware that people are aware of it and he's just getting it out of the way. And then questions are raised over whether the Beatles are brought up too much in interviews and, you know, why they are the majority of his talking points. And that was fascinating. He then asked Paul about Beatles stories that haven't even been told. And he pressured Paul into telling uh, an anecdote that he swears he'd never told before, culminating in a story where he explains that the reason he looks so stern in many of the Abbey Road behind-the-scenes uh, cover shoot photos is that on that day, he's trying to convince John 
to actually start filling out his tax returns at the behest of John's lawyers. Um, the best bit about that, though, is that they both acknowledge how both boring that story is and how much Beetle nerds like me will love it. Anyway, enough wanking off this journalist. It's time for me to pick out some of the choice McCartney three-centric cuts from this piece. Let's go with this one. It reads, There's a song on McCartney 3, Pretty Boys, that is kind of unusual for you in how the music is sort of unassuming, but the lyrics, Meet the Pretty Boys, A Line of Bicycles for Hire, Objects of Desire, Working for the Squire, You Can Look But You Better Not Touch, almost have a sinister edge. What inspired that one? I'll tell you... And again, folks, I'm not doing Paul's voice. I'll tell you exactly... I've been photographed by many photographers over the years, and when you get down to London doing sessions with people like David Bailey, you know, give it to me, fuck the lens, and it's like, what? No, I'm not going to. But I understand why they're doing that. They're that kind of artist, so you allow it. Certain photographers, they tend to be very good photographers, by the way, can be totally out of line in the studio. So, Pretty Boys is about male models, and... Going around New York or London, you see lines of bicycles for hire. It struck me that they're like models, there to be used. It's most unfortunate. If anyone who's wondering who David Bailey is, he's the famous London photographer in the 60s, where basically all of the stereotypes about uh, kind of posh, foppy British photographers come from. Like, ooh, yeah, baby, give it to me. You know, Austin Powers, that kind of thing. Overall, though, it's nice to see that Paul has given us such a concise and clear-cut story behind the inspiration for one of his upcoming songs. You know, sometimes he can be rather evasive with where these things come from, and it's cool to be able to go into the album knowing exactly what's going on. Speaking of evasive, though, the next song they talk about specifically was indeed Lavatory Lil. And seeing how I brought back the topic of my episode with Ken, I thought it would be fun to see if the official party line on who Lil may or may not be has changed. It reads, Lavatory Lil was another song I was curious about. That's quite a title. Lavatory Lil is a parody of someone I didn't like. Someone I was working with who turned out to be a bit of a baddie. I thought things were great. It turned nasty. So I made up the character Lavatory Lil and remembered some of the things that had gone on and put them in the song. I don't need to be more specific than that. I will never divulge who it was. And you don't need to, Paul, do you? Because we all bloody well know, you know. You never had to tell us that despite repeated warnings was about Trump. <laughs> you know, did you have to tell us that Dear Friend was about John? I don't think he's ever been that subtle, folks. Now, folks, whilst we've covered all of the relevant stuff from this article that I wanted to touch on, one thing that I did want to highlight before we moved on was a certain song that was referenced, uh, a track from Wildlife. Again, uh, I didn't expect to see it be, be, be brought up so frequently today. And the interviewer slags off the song right in the middle of a question. He says, Something that has been a constant for you musically is your ability to keep coming up with melodies. It's there on the new album. The melodies all flow. Is your facility for writing a catchy melody ever an obstacle for getting in the way of the songs to be just more than catchy? Because a good tune by itself is not always enough to make a good song. Bip Bop would be an example of that. Do you know what I'm saying? Paul replies, No, I know. Bip Bop is not lyrically stunning. 
I was always embarrassed about that song. Literally, it goes, bit bop, take your bottom dollar. It's inconsequential. But I mentioned that to a friend, a producer, a few years ago and said, that's my favourite song of yours. So you don't know what people like. It's enough if I like it and enjoyed putting it on the record and don't particularly want to think any more of the lyrics. And I don't want to sweat it. Sometimes maybe it would be better if I did sweat it. Once or twice I tried to sweat it and I hated it. It's like, what are you doing this for? Oh my God, Paul, come on, seriously. Like what, nearly 50 years on and you are still ragging on Bip Bop, one of the best tracks from Wildlife. Come on, I've never understood why it's gotten this continual anti-aircraft flack. <laughs> it's just not fair. And at this point, I really feel like Paul is trolling me specifically. No, I'm not paranoid, Doctor. But seriously, why are they still hated on Bitbop? I mean, Paul, the reason I like Bitbop is that you didn't sweat it and you just let your natural talent roll through. <laughs> I can't believe that Paul is implying that so many of his other songs with much more terrible lyricism had any more thought put into them than Bitbop. I feel like he's not being totally honest with his songwriting process there. At least the uh, review of the Morton Report referred to Deep Down as being reminiscent of Bitbop in a positive way, though. So, again, I really guess I am going to like Deep Down, even though Paul will probably end up slagging it off in an interview with The Times in 2023. But, oh well. On the whole, though, a cracking piece there from The New York Times, and I would be glad indeed to have any interview that I conducted or wrote to be as good as that one, or even to be compared to that one. Our last review, but by no means our least, is a piece written by Jonathan Dean, his interview with McCartney in Culture Magazine here in the UK, which is a supplementary magazine that you get for free when you buy a copy of the Sunday Telegraph. And huge shout out to Dave Rainey for sending over the photos of the article over to me after I forgot to buy my own copy when I went to the shops. Overall, this one was a lot more free-flowing. I was certainly written with Sunday mornings and afternoons in mind. Like, it was serious, but not dry. Perfect material over an afternoon tea, which we in the UK must drink by law at 1am. As per the norm, it covered the Beatles, Solo Paul, the new album, and was capped off with a healthy discussion of Peter Jackson's The Beatles Get Back film thing. Just a couple of details before we get into the McCartney 3 stuff. Uh, Paul has watched all of Peaky Blinders, apparently. The uh, popular TV show set in the Victorian era uh, version of Birmingham. Again, my hometown. It's all connected. Sailor Sam, baby. Uh, please don't ever call me that. Something else I noticed rather amusingly was the fact that Paul himself almost certainly has never listened to this podcast. Okay, that's not a revelation to anybody, but Dean cites that Paul does not like audiobooks or what Paul refers to as, and I'm not making this up, everyone, he calls them listening books. Oh, you boomer grand dude, you so crazy. Oh, that's so cute, isn't it, folks? Then, later on, and I'm not sure if the writer's being knowingly coy here, he cites the main themes of the song Eat at Home, as home, family, and love. And whilst that is a correct assessment of the surface level, uh, you know, interpretation of, of the lyrics, you don't have to be a cunning linguist to realise that there 
is a, a potential other meaning behind that song to get your tongue around. Anyway, onto the songs themselves. When speaking of Find My Way, Paul gives one of those killer responses that just fucks with the notion of anyone reading too much into anything he writes. He said, There's a line, though, on the new song, Find My Way, that goes, I've walked towards the light. Is that God again, that light? No, in truth, it's just a phrase that I like. And I actually had a little wooden sign up in Liverpool, which I'd bought at an antique shop. A carving that said, walk into the light or something. I always liked that phrase, the idea of it. I'd rather walk towards the light than the dark. He continues again, talking about Find My Way later on. And rather like in our first episode where he made it clear that he was aware that his pandemic experience was better than most people's. McCartney then goes on to address that, you know, his optimistic worldview and inner strength may not be something that is shared by everyone. He said, even if you're an optimist, you'll know plenty of people who aren't. So a line like, you're overwhelmed by your anxieties. Well, I know people like that. And I go on to say, let me help you out. Let me be your guide. So again, it's the idea of trying to do something in your work that can actually make a difference to people. Now, I'm not sure if this anecdote from Paul has been spawned by the fact that every journalist, you know, the last couple of years has been asking him the importance of songwriting and the meaning behind songwriting and the, uh, you know, the great burden upon his shoulders. But on the other hand, Paul has always been there to guide you through his music and offer his own brand of McCartney advice. You know, you've all just got to take with a grain of salt terms and conditions apply, you know. Anyway, onto the songs referenced therein. Later on in the interview segment with, with McCartney, Dean refers to women and wives as being, quote, the prettiest song on the album, which is a big claim indeed, especially considering how much I've already fallen in love with 20 seconds or so of Kiss of Venus. Then at the end of the review, he did a little song-by-song song rundown uh, of all the songs from the album. You know, where have we heard that format before? And here are the best of the mini-reviews that weren't just him printing the lyrics. It read as thus. Deep, deep feeling. The album's centrepiece is eight minutes of mood containing many moments when the floor seems to fall through the music. Sounds feverish. Will be terrific live. Um, just to let you know, folks, these re reviews are in such tiny boxes and it's almost like, you know, when back in the day you, you have to pay by the letter for a text or for a newspaper advertisement it feels like that it's not poor grammar accidentally also just as a quick aside dean also mentions that deep deep feeling is the favorite track of mccartney's youngest grandson uh, mary's son sid which is awesome next up we have sliding a fantastic filthy rock song that would not sound out of place on the white album Squalling guitars build and build as McCartney wails about being free. A highlight. So now, folks, I mean, bloody hell, we've had comparisons to Let Me Roll It, as well as the music of the Black Keys and the Arctic Monkeys. So now to have this track sound not out of place on the White Album is insane and only adds to the crazy comparisons this song has had. Oh, if only I could hear the song for myself and put us all out of our misery. And here we are, last, last, last of all, Deep Down. A second long and repetitive timely one, dark in mood. 
as McCartney sings about partying every night, something nobody has been doing since February. Wah, wah. <laughs> but yeah, there we are, folks. That is everything I've learned about McCartney 3 from the established print media, internet and stuff people on social media have bombarded me with. But now it's time for us to take a look at what we can learn about the music of McCartney 3 based on the clues McCartney's marketing team at Capitol and the talented musicians within the McCartney and Beatle fandom have given us. 12 Days of Paul. So, everyone, I'm sure you've probably heard of the 12 Days of Christmas, the classic Christmas carol. However, I've just found out that that actually goes back to the 12 days it took the three wise men or magi to find the Christ child and bring their gifts, blah, blah, blah. As an ex-Catholic, I probably should have known that. But anyway, what better way to celebrate some old seasonal traditions than with the cold co-opting of said traditions by a multinational conglomerate corporation? Yes, everyone. From the 4th of December onwards, Paul, and by Paul again, I mean his marketing team at Capital, have launched what is now known as the 12 Days of Paul, where they are celebrating the 12 days leading up to, not Christmas, but the release of McCartney 3. How wonderful. Now, in all honesty, folks, this was probably going to be the part of the episode where I was going to throw in my hot takes on Find My Way and Winterbird When Winter Comes. Yes, I have indeed heard those two songs, Shock Horror. Uh, but I was only going to do that because I didn't know how to fill this allotted space. But then, much to my amazement, what I thought would be quite a minor McCartney 3 marketing campaign suddenly bore considerably exciting fruit that I just have to discuss now and expect my hot takes episode soon. Essentially, I was just searching through Twitter one day and then I came across this. So that, for anyone unaware out there, was a 40-odd second clip of a band called Blossoms, aka at Blossoms Band on Twitter, and they were playing Long-Tailed Winter Bird, the semi-instrumental opening track of McCartney 3. Now, you all out there may well be thinking, just as I did, how the fuck have these guys heard this music from McCartney 3? And how are they able to recreate it so accurately? Is this like Jimi Hendrix hearing a leak of Sgt. Pepper and then playing it for the Beatles a few days later? Well, it turns out they haven't heard the song, or at least as far as I'm aware, but surprisingly they've had legitimate access to the sheet music for Long-Tailed Winter Bird. And how so? Well, as part of the 12 Days of Paul, Macca and Capital have been releasing the sheet music for the songs from McCartney 3, but not only are they releasing the sheet music, they are printing it on the side of bloody buildings in these massive artworks. Uh, the first one, released on the first day, 
was Longtail Winterbird and was plastered on a building adjacent to the Capitol building in Los Angeles. Then there was one for Find My Way the next day, put on a building in London. The day after, there was one for Pretty Boys in Mexico City. And the final one at time of recording was for Women and Wives in Sydney, Australia. If anyone knows where the other buildings are in future, if they do even exist, let me know at pod at gmail.com. Keep me up to date, you know. But yeah, I've got to say right up front, this marketing campaign has certainly worked. I'm talking about it right now with some vigour. Uh, but yeah, let's have a look at some of these covers. First off, we will start with a song uh, whose audio I have not heard at all, actually. This is a song I went into completely blind, and yet I've got someone covering it for me. Uh, this is Pretty Boys, and it is brought to us by JJ Grohl, a.k.a. Julio Grohl, on Twitter. Let's hear it. acoustic rendition and I'll bet you my bottom dollar that it turns out that that specific guitar part that we just heard is going to be almost note for note accurate as to how the final album version is going to be presented the vocals you know I think he was just doing some placeholder ones for us there just to kind of go along with it but musically if this is anything like Paul's version then I can tell that Pretty Boys is going to be a very tender ballad very melodic and I'm going to love it Following on, we do have a song whose audio that you and I will likely have heard already, and this is for Find My Way, performed by one Roland Villabona, a.k.a. at Roland Villabona on Twitter. Let's go. This is exactly what this campaign is meant to be about, isn't it, folks? I mean, of course, we're going to have more acoustic covers than you can shake a stick at. But to be gifted, to be blessed with a short, sweet little violin cover, it's just so endearing, isn't it? You know, Paul's strength is in his melody writing, and that shines through just as clearly on any instrument. And it's comforting to, to know that this strength in melody writing hasn't diminished with the new album. Cracking stuff all around. Let's move on. And for the next track, we're going to return to Long-Tailed Winterbird and listen to someone else's interpretation of the same music. This was brought to us by Alex Massat, a.k.a. Alex Massat 19 on Twitter, and it goes like this. Do you, do, do, do you miss me? Do you, do, do, do you feel me? Do 
Now, as far as my own cyber sleuthing could tell me, this is Alex's only post on Twitter so far, which is awesome, and I hope he continues to post so I can talk about further covers. Based on the audio we've heard in the McCartney 3 trailers, though, it's clear that his vocal here is spot on, including the brilliant double tracking there. Uh, more of the covers for this song are focused on the acoustic element, but it's cool that he's focused on the vocals here and changed up the arrangement and swapped it up to the keyboards to make it much more of a McCartney 2-infused affair. All over, I thought this was awesome. Not much more I can say, really. Now, at the time of recording, it is the fourth day of Paul, but they've only had three days to learn all these songs, so I do only have three songs to cover, so we are just going to do one run-through again. Let's see what more variety is out there on the interwebs. We've got another version of Pretty Boys, this time from an artist named Maxi Sosa, and he was the only cover artist that I found exclusively on YouTube, so I'll post that link down below. Uh, on with the song, though. I don't think that that's going to sound anything like the final version. That almost like a choral, you know, Benedictine monk, uh, you know, very hymnal interpretation of the music there was fascinating. I, I really enjoyed that. What, what a fantastic interpretation. And the echoey vocals really did add to that angelic effect. Yeah, really good. What else have we got? Uh, well, actually, we've got another one by J.J. Grohl, at Julio Grohl on Twitter, and this time he's going to do Find My Way for us. You know, huge shout-out to this guy for his sheer productivity. Take it away, J.J.
That was JJ's second McCartney 3 track, and once again, it was really good. Whilst I'm in no place to accuse anyone of having listened to, you know, certain tracks ahead of time, but with this song having quote-unquote been out, uh, I can't be sure of its compositional purity. But that little fill he puts in at the end where the electric guitar comes in was perfect. I loved that. I imagine if you've been a good person this year and you're not on Santa's naughty list for listening to the leak, then this may sound even better to you. But as we all know, you've gone ahead and heard the leak, haven't you? You naughty thing. But yeah, JJ, absolutely cracking cover there. I'm glad you're so, so taken uh, with all of this McCartney 3 stuff. And hopefully by the next time I look on Twitter, you've got even more stuff for me. Speaking of leaks, though, do email me in at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com if you're one of these people who have intentionally avoided the leaks for this album, especially if you were, say, sent the leak and then made the conscious decision not to listen to it. I would love to hear from such people of sheer fortitude. And finally, 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 our third rendition of Long-Tailed Winter Bird is performed by someone whose name does not clearly indicate a Beatle fandom. This is a performance by Plastic Josh, a.k.a. I Am Plastic Josh, on Twitter. Let's hear it. cool wasn't it i mean starting off with the sitar tambura sound already won me over but i was really impressed by his decision to kind of slow it down a little yes but then he makes it a lot punchier and heavier with that backing track it's got a real punch to it the whole thing was fab it was so well produced for something clearly done on the fly like this is not his first rodeo i imagine Everyone is clearly having a blast playing the acoustic guitar lick to this specific song, though. And I can't remember which one said it, but they said that this was a classic Paul McCartney acoustic riff for the future. And it's clear that, you know, McCartney fans are going to be learning this on the axe for years to come. In terms of Plastic Josh, though, it rivals the first clip we showed. It really, it really does. They were both really solid, but... I think this one might just take it because it's just one guy on his own. The first one, Blossoms, that was a whole band. This is it's just one guy and he fucking nails it. 
And there we are, folks. That was everything I have learned and now you have learned about McCartney 3 in the interim since the last time we released one of these episodes. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. And hey, if you're upset that I haven't spoken about Find My Way or Winterbird When Winter Comes, don't worry, I'm literally recording it very, very soon with the same guy who I did my first hot takes uh, for Come On To Me and I Don't Know. For those of you who remember that episode, you'll know how well that went. But yeah, folks, lots of stuff coming up for Paul or Nothing. I have indeed arranged my next chat with Another Kind of Mind. I've got stuff with Ranking the Beatles, the Under the Covers podcast. Uh, The same day I'm recording my two hot takes uh, for the McCartney 3 songs. I'm also recording my part two of my Tripping the Life Fantastic series I'm doing with Dylan Seavey. Yes, I'm doing Tripping the Life Fantastic. It's, It's fucking great. I can't wait for you to hear that one. Lots of exciting stuff happening with Paul or Nothing right now, folks. Some of which I won't speak about because it always jinxes it. But yeah, there might even be some stuff I can't quite mention yet. Anyway, though, thank you all very much for listening. Not too much to conclude at the end here. It's mostly just the facts. I'm sure Denny Lane has already been playing us out for some time. Again, thank you all for listening, folks. I hope you're all safe during this awful time we're all living through. I hope you've all pre-ordered your copies of McCartney 3. Keep listening to Paul. Peace and love, peace and love. I'm not signing any more autographs. Take it away, Denny. My knee, young man Said the lady in green I don't care to come in between you And your young woman It's just not Prospects never will be great While bosses underestimate his value Army says Take your feet off my desk, young man.